Hey, Real Talk listeners, listen up. Today we are talking about, uh, and we're continuing our book series, um, and today we're talking about uh, the book called The One Thing. You've heard me talk about this. It's about um, really obtaining extraordinary results. Uh, the author is Gary Keller and Jay Papasan, I think. Um, that's how you say their name. But we're continuing with our book series because there are times where we're reflecting in books um, or we're talking through. Um, Michelle and I had a great opportunity. Michelle is on the um, our podcast today with me talking through this book because I think it's just great to highlight and talk through some different initiatives. We were both at a conference with Rachel Hollis, gosh, a couple of years ago, Michelle. Is that how long it was? Yeah, it's, it's two years. Yeah, it's been a little bit. And so it was a great opportunity because Rachel Hollis brought up this book. I went out and bought it and Michelle bought it as well. And it's just a great opportunity for us to talk through because sometimes, you know, the book was made or the conference was mainly focused on how we develop and grow our businesses. So obviously with real talent, we want to continue developing ourselves, challenging ourselves from a business perspective. But When I read books, I always try to figure out how I tie the message into my day-to-day or how I support my clients, my customers, my peers, whatever the case may be. And so this book is like so great because it talks through really, you know, what your, you know, possibilities are, purpose, et cetera. And it really helps you kind of drive your messaging. It talks about big ideas, sales, et cetera. But there is, you know, different parts and different sections in the book that really, really just hone in on some key characteristics just in general. And it made me wonder, I was talking with Michelle about this, but when you take a look at chapter four, it talks, uh, you know, that chapter is really about everything matters equally. And when it comes to businesses, I think that's really important, especially when you have business partners, how are you equally, you know, distributing funds, revenue, profitability, putting money back into the business, et cetera. But I think what's really critical too is when you're in human resources, when you're allocating funds and taking a look at, you know, your organization within your business, whatever the case may be, how are you allocating funds to the organization back into your team to reinvest with yourselves? Um, and is everything equal, right? And so the start of the chat, one of the chapters um, that really stood out to me from an HR perspective is, it kind of just talks about this and I'll talk through it. Equality is a worthy ideal pursued in the name of justice and human rights. In the real world, the results, however, things are never equal. No matter how teachers grade, two students are not equal. No matter how fair officials try to be, contests are not equal. No matter how talented people are, no two are ever equal. A dime equals 10 cents and people must absolutely be treated fairly. But in the, in the world of achievement, everything doesn't matter equally. Equality is a lie. And it's interesting because some people can call BS on this and some people can't, but I'm going to sit here and create some controversy amongst our listeners, I'm sure as always, but It's kind of true, you know, from an HR perspective, when we get into performance reviews um, time of the year, you have people leaders who just have their go-to people, or you have employees that are always perceiving favoritism amongst a team because there's always that one go-to person that someone goes to, they get a higher increase for whatever the, the, you know, situation is, they get spot bonuses, um, you know, increases, um, different types of comments, different types of treatment. 
And I'm not saying it's always the case, but there are, you know, in different teams, like when a mom and dad says they don't have a favorite child, I feel like they're also lying a little bit. Like there's no equality there. Like you're going to obviously take a look and assess that. I mean, Michelle, tell me if I'm wrong here. I would love for you to weigh in on this equality piece. You know what? I don't think you're wrong at all. It's interesting that you brought up this book today and you and I were talking about the idea behind equality because obviously it is something that's talked about a lot, how things need to be equal. And I think there's a misinterpretation of what we're trying to accomplish. I think that's where the problem comes in. But I was watching a video today and I wish I could remember wish I could remember the channel that I was, the YouTube channel that I was watching it on, but it was a group of three men and three women. And the men had very outspoken opinion about men's rights activism. And the women had very outspoken opinions about feminism. And they were trying to bring them together and ask a series of questions to get them aligned. And Every time, they were also super young, and this is not fair. I'm not young, and I've had a lot of life experience, but I was thinking, just wait till you're my age. It'll be way clearer than it is to you guys right now, because virtually every time someone said something, I thought, but people are different. And I think that No, I don't think, I know. We use words like equality to create generalizations because we're trying to simplify the conversation. But what we do when we generalize stuff like that is we strip away what does matter. Straight up, I'm gonna call it out. The employee that shows up on their day off because I need help the employee that willingly works late to get projects done, the employee that says yes to extra projects and extra works, guess what? They deserve more more money on that merit increase than someone who just shows up and does it. The argument that men are different from women, guess what? We are different from each other. I mean, but the truth is I'm different from you and we both happen to be females. And it's that oversimplification that causes us to get into these great debates. The biggest thing that stood out to me with each of those groups, just trying to talk about how their rights and their equality was being trampled on. The thing that I kept thinking to myself over and over and over again is you guys are all saying the same thing. You're just saying it from your skewed perspective and focusing on your soul party. But it was a great example of, you know, every time you'd be like, we're not different. I'm like, um, look in a mirror lately. Like, yeah, sure are sure are different, but we have this idea of that word equality. Now, before I give it back to you, I do want to say this. So Maria actually got to dig into the whole book. I've done what I like to call skim reading of the book, but one of the things I do like about it in this section 
is that he doesn't wimp out and go with the simplified answers. Like he really digs in and explains things in a way that you can actually use it and apply it to your life. I think a lot of times you get theoretical books that talk about your purpose or your one thing or whatever. And they use all these big fluffy words that leave most of us walking away going, yeah, but what the fuck am I supposed to do? So he doesn't just throw out equality is a lie and leave it at that. He really talks about what he means by that statement. And Michelle, I'm going to challenge you a bit on that because if you're saying we're different and that's, that's the fact of that, but what if, you know, and, and you mentioned the person who goes above and beyond, they should get an increase. But if your people leader isn't giving you the opportunity and you don't have those opportunities because they're always going to their one person, their one resource, and they're always pivoting there, then you don't have the opportunity to become an equal. And obviously this goes beyond, you know, just the workforce, right? Like we talked about during our DEI session with Nikki Lerner and a multitude of people in areas of, you know, more urban or other areas, right, where there's a difference in race or gender, whatever the case may be, they're not given or we aren't given opportunities similar to everyone else um, because of the restrictions. Now we can go above and beyond and drive hours out of our way to be given those opportunities, but they're not easily accessible to us or at least closer to our needs. When you take a look at companies, you know, and employees at companies, I think sometimes they're given, you know, larger companies, for example, can invest more. I would say the the companies I've worked for that had 50,000 employees plus, they were able to create more of a profitability margin so that they could invest back into their employees through training and development means. When you take a look at smaller organizations, sometimes training and development falls at the wayside because they don't have the margins yet to be able to invest back into their employees in that way, the way that is just expendable. So I want to challenge you, Michelle, right now, like when you're saying, hey, that person who goes above and beyond should get like an increase. Yes. But what if someone else would want to do that that hasn't had the possibility or the chance? Okay, so you know what I find interesting about when we challenge each other is it usually boils down to just like how something was phrased. And we usually end up being pretty aligned. There are definitely some exceptions, but not all of them. So what you're describing, in my opinion, or the way I lead, I would refer to it as a leadership failure. And it would be something systemic in your leadership team that you need to root out and address. So maybe given the opportunities or going above and beyond, maybe that those aren't the best examples because I think that I am in agreement with you that everyone should get those opportunities. But what I've seen over and over again, both when I have worked in sales, operations, HR, learning and development, basically have worked in every department you could work in, in an organization. And what I've seen over and over again is there is a group of employees who does things pretty consistently 
accurate, efficient, has high quality. There's always going to be within your unit. There's always going to be a team member that struggles, doesn't do things well. Those are those employees that you, as leaders, that you probably say things like, I just want to fire them because they don't do anything. They're the exception. They are not the rule. But there are those. And us saying that they don't exist would be a lie. And then I think that the bulk of people kind of fall in the middle. They're trying to do a good job. They're doing their job the way they need to or the way they think they need to. But don't always step up like that high potential that's trying to get to that next level. So basically what I'm saying is I agree with you and I see what you're describing as a leadership failure for them not offering opportunities to everybody to feel it out. I believe that everyone should have that chance if they decide they don't want it or they can't do it. And that's always a possibility. It's not time in their life for it then that's fine. But if you are going to that one person just because they're your buddy, you, the leader, need to go. The leader is the problem here, not the idea of difference. So I'm definitely a pay-for-performance person. I will always argue, in an ideal world, I would argue for cost-of-living increase and performance increase that the organization would offer some compensation that addressed both of those things. And that way, every person in the organization would get a cost of living increase and it would be equal across the board just because it gets more expensive every year to live. That's all that is, right? It's, I want you to live. And then aligned or aside that would be a, you are an exceptional employee. Here's a little bit more. Yeah, that makes sense. And I I don't think many organizations consider that piece when it comes to performance management or review time. I mean, I can think of several organizations I work for that never did a cost of living increase. Like, and and it's interesting because I read this recently in a LinkedIn article, like Jeff Bezos, you know, between when he started Amazon and now is making, you know, like he went from millions to billions, right? And our minimum wage, federal minimum wage, this is still at like 725 or whatever they said it was, or bucks or something like that. So we haven't increased to the cost of what the US is inflating to, sadly. Exactly, exactly. But I also, I agree with you. And I think this is where the debate comes in is that organizationally, there are systemic issues that keep certain groups from improving the quality of their lives based on how the system is created. It's interesting how that... I always love when life aligns with what we're talking about, but I had a conversation with someone about an organization who has decided to go with a policy as it relates to COVID vaccines that quite frankly would not be a policy that I would recommend or advocate for. In fact, I would probably have given the organization 
a list of about two dozen risks with going with their particular choice. And I don't want to get into what their choice was in that company, but here's what I will get into. Their choice, and this goes to that equality piece and that systematic issue, their choice has set up their lowest paid employees to struggle even more than they do right now. So their choice favors salaried employees in office environment who are less to live paycheck to paycheck. Uh, those people making minimum wage or slightly higher to end up losing what little bit of money they do have. So yes, the system is broken in many corporate establishments. Yep, put it out there, sure did. It is broken. It is set up not to do the right thing for employees in a lot of cases. Yeah, and so let's dig into that because I don't want to lose our fellow companies uh, from a client perspective because we're here to help. When you say it's broken, specifically, we're talking about the part where that's rigged, right? Yes. Going back to that equality piece. And it comes back to the lack of development from the beginning, because as you see organizations rapidly grow, they don't develop their leaders right away to understand those biases that happen and those gaps, right? Yeah. I was going to say, there is absolutely a difference between, in my opinion, or the way I define these words, between consistency, equality, and sameness, right? So in my mind, I see those as different things. And as an organization, you need to consistently offer every employee the same solutions, the same access, the same Okay, so that's, and that's part of the problem is I just use the word same when I say consistency. So when I was talking earlier about how it is often just a communication gap that causes us to argue a point, not me and you, but like the whole world. I just did it. Consistency was what needs to happen, but I used the word sameness. And so now people are like, do I treat them the same? No, you consistently apply that policy to everyone that works there. You consistently offer those benefits to everyone that works there. You don't differentiate between groups, whether you, well, clearly you don't do it based on a protected class because that goes beyond a bad choice as a company. It becomes a federal issue or a, a legal issue, but you don't do it based on any division. You don't do it based on you work, you have to show up to an office. You could work from home. You are considered an operator. You are office support. However, you are currently dividing up your population, stop dividing them. And the policies and procedures are consistent for everyone that is paid in your organization. Honestly, Maria, when you talk to me or when I talk to my client, the client, our clients, I don't even separate 
unless I have to because of the conversation, the word employees from leaders. Because guess what? Leaders are employees. They just happen to have people that report to them. So if you could think of it that way, it helps you to create that consistency. Your title is irrelevant. If you are paid by this company, you are an employee. You should all have the same CSNs. So what about the companies that are flat organizations that have put those measures in place and we're still seeing the gaps there from an inequality or inconsistency piece? Tell me more. So you know how we're talking about levels here. You have different organizations for the most part that stagger, right? You have your entry-level employees and then you have your senior leadership that's director, VPs, C-suites, et cetera, right? What about the organizations that literally everybody is just called employee, like team members or so? There's some that, you know, I've worked with out there and they have a CEO, but like everyone else is like an employee, no matter where they are in the organization, it's flat. Like there's very little in the triangle of getting up and it still transpires, right? So how is that created? It is still a result of the person in power. So whether you have frontline leadership mid-level leadership, senior leadership, executive leadership, and then C-suite, right? Regardless of how many layers of leaders there are, there is someone who has the power to wield consequences and to create policies. The decision maker, whatever you want to call the person, that person with power has created an environment where that is acceptable. Exactly. And I think that's where it doesn't matter, you know, from a hierarchy perspective, I think it's just critical, right? That everybody identifies where the gaps are in their organization and takes a look at how they can continue making adjustments because people know they're there. You could go to anybody in any department and they could easily clarify the inequality in that department, whether it's through people, workload, communication, whatever the case may be, it's easily identify it. It's going to be there always. And guys, I want to pause because you know, the more we do this, the more listeners, the more clients we have, the more controversy we create. So I want to pause for just a second. And I want to remind you guys, we're here to change stuff because... I don't know if you've taken a look around, but in the year 2020, entrepreneurship grew by something ridiculous like 40%. I don't know if you paid attention to the great resignation, but people aren't happy anymore with the status quo. Marie and I both uh, use taglines that we challenge, we're challengers of the status quo as it relates to HR. So that's really what these conversations are about is it's not working. If you can't find people to work in your organization, if your turnover is high, if your customers are going to to other organizations, it's because something that is happening in your organization is no longer aligned with what society wants in a workforce, right? That's all we're saying. Also, I just want to remind you guys, totally not judging. In fact, I try desperately not to judge anyone because I'm full of flaws. So when I talk about leaders or the person in power, 
set up that environment, I'm going to always start in a conversation with you by giving you the benefit of the doubt. I've seen it for 20 years in my career. Most leaders learn to do their jobs on their own. Nobody actually told them what good looked like or what to expect. There's a recent study that shows that more than 75% of the organizations that are started or the businesses that are started, they never assume they're going to get above 25 employees. Like they don't have a strategy to that. Oh yeah, in five years, I'm going to grow to 250 employees. You thought you were going to have a family owned business where you could put some family and friends to work and you could do the things that you're passionate about. And now boom, all of a sudden you've got 10 times the growth and you're doing what you know how to do. It just might not be working. So I was talking to one last thing. I was talking to a friend of mine who is also a consultant. He's actually a a business consultant um, or a consultant for new businesses. And he specializes in the coffee industry. And one of his clients was really struggling with his, some of the recommendations that he was making for her to improve her business. And, um, she finally explained to him, she said, when I think about a business consultant, what I think about is someone who's standing in the back of the labor and delivery room. And when the baby pops out, they go, oh my God, a baby's so ugly. Let's get a scalpel. Let's do some plastic surgery. Are you kidding me? Right? Like you just grew this organization, blood, sweat, and tears. And now somebody's coming in and calling it ugly. And he said, I get it. I get where you're coming from. What I think about when I think about a consultant is someone who comes in and says, hey, you sort of got into a rut here, right? You got into a routine every single day. Your schedule got so jam-packed with soccer practice and ballet class and karate or taekwondo and you're jumping from meeting to meeting and you're on zoom all day long and you're eating fast food from mcdonald's and i just come in and say hey let's talk about putting some more water in your diet i'll make a huge difference in your life your complexion the health of your skin right you have something great you you had something really great. It is no longer serving the purpose you want it to serve, or you're not sure what to do with it anymore. Maybe it's an unruly teenager. They were great until they hit 14. And now she is the sassiest smart ass you've ever raised in your life, right? And you're just like hands in the air. I don't know what to do with this sassy kid. We're just somebody that comes in as a different ear, someone who doesn't have to live with that sassy teenager every day, who can offer a slightly different point of view so that the two of you can align again. That's all this entire, that's all Marie and I want to do with this business. So even when we say things like you created this problem, I mean, truth hurts. You are where you are today and what you're doing is not serving your future. It may have served your past, 
and it may still serve your present, but it is not serving what you want for your future. Yeah, that's a great point. And I think, you know, going back to what we talked about, I think if you're proactive, that helps. And talking to your employees while you're evolving the organization, growing, scaling, changing, whatever the case may be, they will provide you the feedback. And there's some things you just can't control. For example, employees leaving an organization, great. They may be leaving for more compensation. You can't sit there and give people, you know, people are jumping organizations to get a higher pay increase a lot quicker. You're not going to be able to satisfy that every single time. And like, I mean, you can counter obviously, but if you're already paying a competitive wage, people are going to leave to leave for that wage irregardless. But if you have all the other measures in place, it's successful. So yeah, there's so many different areas in this book as well. Um, The other part that really stood out to me was, I don't know what chapter this is in, but it's not that we have too little time to do all the things we need to do. It is that we feel the need to do too many things in the time we have. And I think this was a chapter in regards to multitasking. Yeah. And it says multitasking is a lie. And what's great about the one thing, the book, is that the author actually underlines like key things like that that you would actually highlight, which is super cool. But I really liked that aspect because, you know, when you're taking a look at multitasking, at the end of the day, I've grown out and expanded my teams, but I haven't expanded my workload, but I found things that ended up making them busy, right? If you give me 10, I will find work for 10 people. If you give me five, they'll be working probably as much as the 10 people are, but, uh, you know, they'll be like, I will, I will figure out the workload for the five people and figure out how to automate the rest. So as you're scaling down or scaling up, you're able to kind of expand some of those needs. But I feel like, you know, we have so much to do, but we're doing, we, we find the work to do in the day and that's why we're working so much. I could not agree with him more that multitasking is ridiculous. Again, I, I I really think it's how people choose to define the word. I know some of you out there are thinking the dictionary defined the word for us, but there is interpretation of a definition. There's also common context or common definitions. And for me, multitasking is one of those. What I've always told people is it's more about aligning or scheduling your time in a way that creates efficiencies. So if you have two projects and one requires undivided attention for an hour, the other is something that you can get started or send to someone else in a matter of minutes, then you do that one quickly so you can free your time up to work on the second one. It's really just more about how you lay your stuff. But I agree with you. The way he lays out these chapters and the way he explains it is pretty, pretty helpful for anyone reading it. Yeah. So I think it's it's a great book. It's a great read for anybody from a business perspective. I think it's called The Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results. And when you think about it beyond just a business, right, you think about it uh, on how to execute and get extraordinary results out of your team, out of yourself, out of your day-to-day. 
and focus in some of those priorities, I think that's going to help elevate you and yourself. Um, but I, I just, I, I thought the book was, you know, fantastic. I'm always reading it and contributing it to my personal life as well as my, you know, my business, my work, all of that. So every time I read something, I'm like, how does this work from an HR perspective? And then I really try to hone into the employee side of things. So I thought it was good, contradictory to the last review book we had where the woman was calling, you know, girls out, you know, versus women. I don't know. So much drama on our last podcast. (laughs) I know nothing but good reviews. Um, for this book, for sure. Yeah. So we have a couple more um, books that we're going to go through. Obviously, I think it's just helpful to kind of talk through some books if it's worthy or not. I would recommend this book to anybody, um, not just because it was recommended to us and it's number one Wall Street Journal bestseller, um, but I'd recommend it so that you could challenge yourself and try to read it and interpret it in a way that's a little bit different as opposed to looking at it, we initially honed in and looked at it from a business mindset. But when you read it, reread it, you sometimes hone in on how you could produce extraordinary results. And it doesn't necessarily even have to be anything huge. Like how do you produce an extraordinary dinner or lunch every day or something like that, right? So when you take a look at it from your personal life, how do you elevate that, create and increase your productivity and support yourself in the day-to-day? So definitely a good read. Recommend, go get it, whether you like the physical touch of a book, which I prefer, or grabbing the digital version on, you know, whatever platform you're leveraging. Definitely want to recommend that. Go out there, everyone, get extraordinary, extraordinary results, create that productivity, produce, and hope you uh, enjoyed listening in or tuning in to some of our insights here and talking through organizations. Until next time, take care. Bye, everyone.